Does Monday at the office feel like a storm? Not with Microsoft Copilot. That feeling when Copilot gets everyone up to speed instantly? It's sunny again. When Copilot simplifies complex data so your teams can act, that sun's shining on a beach. And when Copilot uncovers hidden insights, you're on that beach with your people and you find buried treasure. That's Microsoft Copilot. Learn more at Microsoft.com slash AI for all. Welcome to Straight Out of Cobham, the Chelsea FC podcast from The Athletic. Every week, we run through all the key Chelsea news and notes in the company of The Athletic's Blues experts. On this episode, we're discussing the weekend win at Newcastle, looking ahead to the Champions League game away to Wren and the big London derby this coming Sunday. We'll also round up the rest of the Chelsea news and answer your questions. Available for free wherever you get your pods and ad-free on The Athletic. This is Straight Out of Cobham. Yes, welcome in, listener. Thanks for joining us for another metaphorical ramble down the Fulham Road. I'm Matt Davis-Adams. Joining me are a fresh-faced and revitalised Simon Johnson. (laughs) Well, that's made me laugh. Um, Yeah, (laughs) hi, everyone. Hi. Uh, Liam Toomey's also here. Hello. And Dominic Fifield completes our starting four. Hi, Dom. Hey, Matt. How you doing? Very well, thank you. Okay, to Newcastle. So, on Saturday, Chelsea went top of the Premier League table for a bit after they waltzed to a comfortable win on Tyneside against Newcastle United. A first-half own goal from Federico Fernandez and a second-half strike from Tammy Abraham enough to secure the points, though the margin of victory could have been even greater had Timo Werner not left his shooting boots at home. Uh, here's a question from Undo, to whom I apologise for the almost certain mispronunciation of their name. They asked, if we keep winning, at some point we'll have to talk about being title challengers, especially with City starting the way they have. I still think Liverpool are a class or two above us, but can we at least finish above City? Uh, Liam, what do you think? I think the the door is slightly more ajar than it looked at the beginning of the season. Um, because when you look at the standard that Liverpool and Manchester City have set over the past three years, Chelsea would have realistically been looking at trying to get 95 to 100 points to be in the title conversation. And that would have required an absolutely massive leap from what they did last season. Um, And even factoring in the recruitment, which now looks to be very, very good, um, it's, it's an awfully big ask of what remains quite a young squad and a manager that is is still learning at this level. But Liverpool have a ton of injuries now in, in key areas. I know they didn't look particularly depleted against Leicester, but over the course of a long season, it's not hard to think that they could slip a little bit in terms of their points total. Manchester City look a shadow of what they've been at their height under Pep Guardiola. And so I think if you're Chelsea, if you're Tottenham under Jose Mourinho, if you're any other team with aspirations to ordinarily be in the Champions League chase, I think you have to be looking at this and thinking, well, is the Premier League title out there in a way that it hasn't really been since uh, Leicester won it in, in 2016? What do you think, Dom? Lots of talk about the the inefficiencies of others and the fact that this is a season like no other. But but what about Chelsea? Have they got the, the quality of squad and the quality of coaching staff to see them mount a genuine title challenge? 
Well, I agree with Liam in as much as this is the season to do that. It, it would appear that it's a lot, that the, the playing field is a lot more level than it has been in recent seasons. Uh, I, I do still look at, at Chelsea's squad and, and um, worry a bit about, you know, injuries to a couple of key players, particularly at the back, and, and maybe things wouldn't look quite so uh, secure and, and promising as they do now. I mean, Thiago Silva, Antonio Rudiger did a good job on Saturday, but he wasn't really challenged at, at Newcastle. We sort of know the deficiencies to his his game. Last season demonstrated that. As much as Kurt Zuma's come on as a player, uh, playing alongside Thiago Silva, how would Chelsea react if, if, if the older man spent a, a period out on the sidelines likewise I, I still we're still all waiting to see what Edouard Mondi be be challenged properly in goals people seem to be averse to taking shots at him at the moment which is which is brilliant and says a lot for the the back line in front of him and the, and, and the midfield shield but we don't know yet whether he's you know, elite quality goalkeeper. I mean, he's done brilliantly so far. I don't mean we're on seven clean sheets out of nine. It's an astonishing start to his his Chelsea career. But I think the next few weeks, you know, when you've got matches against the likes of of, of Spurs, Sevilla, Everton away, Wolves away, Arsenal and City, people like that. Maybe not Arsenal. Um, <laughs> that that will be more of a test. And we'll, I just can't wait for these next couple of months because I think this is, this is the period of the season which is going to be the most congested. That it's going to be what tests squads up and down the Premier League, and I think you'll see a natural rebalancing of the division where the, the squads with greater quality start rising up towards the top of the table, and and the others sink just naturally. Um, and it's I think it's an opportunity for Chelsea because they've got so many particularly attacking talents, so many options going forward. I think that's what will tell. Um, we've just got to keep fingers crossed that the likes of Thiago Silva remain fit. Uh, yeah, Dom mentions defence there. That's where I want to go next. Rasmus has tweeted this show. Uh, hit me up at Matt Davis Adams if you'd like to do the same. He asks, is Rudiger our third choice CB now or is Frank just giving him minutes to increase his value with the January transfer window in mind? Or has he really stepped up the pecking order? And what does that mean for Tamori and Christensen? Uh, well, Rasmus, your question timely because Simon's written about this very subject for The Athletic. Um, Simon, your conclusion chimed with Rasmus's, didn't it? Rudiger, now the number three pick in that position. Yeah, if, if it was to sort of be um, talked about in those terms, that it certainly feels that way. Um, in sort of talking to people around the club, um, it, it does seem that, Rudiger is has not only sort of shown his ability in training, which is something that that Frank Lampard constantly drums on about in press conferences and stuff. How he how he really needs to see the players perform in training before he picks them again. But I, I just think the the attitude has has clearly uh, won some favour. I mean, it's some turnaround because he was he was very much out of the picture at the start of the season, um, and of course was really pushing to leave. But he has done enough. They've they've come together. They had talks about a month ago, and it, and it does seem they're on the same page now. Now, now this makes for bad news for Christensen and, and Tamori. Um, Christensen hasn't played for about two months now. Tamori hasn't played at all since uh, turning down that loan to West Ham at the last moment. And and those two, uh, I'm led to believe that Christensen is. Is very much sort of highly regarded in terms of his passing ability. So I'd be surprised if Chelsea would look to move him on in January because he's the he's kind of the the, the best backup to Thiago Silva as a, as a passing centre back is concerned. 
Um, and then so you're back to Tamori, and that's what I've written about really. That as things stand, Tamori is is the one that they're they're going to be prepared to listen to offers again uh, over a loan move. Um, they don't want to see this developing young player just rotting away on the bench. I mean, it is frightening the lack of minutes he's had in the Premier League in the calendar year. I mean, 109 minutes. Who would have thought that uh, back in December 2019 when he was a regular in the first team? It is a remarkable um, U-turn for all the wrong reasons, really. And and there's it's hard to put a finger on exactly one reason why he, he's just not getting game time. But the problem is, is why... If you're the coach, why would you mess with a with a team now that is consistently keeping clean sheets? So he's looking good for Rudiger, but at the same time, is he getting enough games to justify getting selected for Germany? Is Christensen going to sort of kick off because he needs game time for Denmark? I, I've written that Tomori's most likely to go, but I wouldn't be surprised if there's some kind of change either. I wouldn't rule anything out at this stage. So if, we, if we're assuming that Rudiger... Are... Is now potentially third third choice. What what happens if Kurt Zuma is injured? Is there a situation where Chelsea can play Thiago Silva and Antonio Rudiger as their first choice centre halves? Quite possible. You would sort of think that Rudiger would be the next one to step up for sure. Um, it's certainly the impression that I'm getting that that Rudiger is is back in favour more than the other two. Um, but then at the same time, it's not like. Um, I've been told, oh yeah, Christensen and Tamori are rubbish. I just, I just think that Rudiger, perhaps his um, character, his influence in the dressing room is a, is a, is another key factor of, of why he might get be getting picked above the other two that perhaps don't show the, that same level of personality. Yeah, I can see that. But Liam, what I find a bit odd about this is, is Frank Lampard insists there's been no fallout with for Kyo Tomori. But the games that he's played this season, you think he came on when Christensen got sent off against Liverpool and played well. He started at Spurs in the League Cup and, and played well. I can't remember the last time that, that Christensen did. We've had a, a lot of questions about Tomori and, and supporters worried about his future. It, it does seem odd that, that he's absolutely nowhere near even making a squad at the moment, never mind getting any minutes. It is odd. And I think the game against Newcastle would have been a clarifying moment for him because with with Silver out, not to even make the bench is a real, real blow. Um, And it shows, I think, most clearly what what Lampard's pecking order is right now. I I must admit, I'm struggling to understand it. I mean, I don't think you can look at Tamori's performances last season through complete sort of rose-tinted spectacles. He, He did make a fair few mistakes after that initial run alongside Zuma where... Chelsea had, I think, the, the seven-game winning streak in the autumn. He could he could misread situations, and sometimes his his speed would get him out of trouble. Sometimes not. I remember the the Bournemouth game last year, and and he was absolutely terrible then. And and Lampard telling him to wake up from the touchline, and then later taking him off. That seems to have been a turning point in his Chelsea career to date. And it's just yeah, it should be it should be worrying to him and to Chelsea fans that like him. To, to see how few minutes he's he's getting because aside from being able to learn from Thiago Silva training at Cobham every day it's very difficult not to see these few months as wasted time for him he's completely out of the England reckoning now and with the Euros around the corner I'm sure that's a big target for him as well so Simon's hearing that Chelsea will consider a loan in January I think they have to and I think he has to consider 
going on loan elsewhere in the Premier League just to play. Well, it leads us on to another player currently not making the starting eleven in Olivier Giroud. He made a cameo appearance at St James's on Saturday, but Simon, again, as you've been writing, uh, his future may well lie away from Stamford Bridge come January. It's that time of year where we get the uh, Giroud exit rumour mill starting up. Look, we're in the same stage as we were 12 months ago, but it's because of the European Championships. Of course, they ended up getting postponed uh, for 220, but they're back on against 221. But the issue's the same. Uh, Giroud was barely playing this time last year, and, and that's why he came very close to leaving in January. Um, and, and perhaps if Chelsea had, had, had got the targets they were looking for, um, he would have gone. Um, and, and, and here we are, history repeating itself. He's played even less this season. Um, and Didier Deschamps has made it pretty clear to Giroud that he's got to go um, if he wants to be part of the team um, for Euros in the Euros next summer. Now, what I've written um, an update in uh, David Ornstein's column is that, from my understanding, Chelsea are, are sort of open to the idea as a sort of a as a thank you, as a sort of, uh, they don't want to get in his way, you know, they appreciate everything he's done, the way he's behaved, handled the situation. Um, so as long as Chelsea don't have an injury crisis, that everything, you know, the results are still going fairly positively, um, it sounds to me like they're prepared to do business. It will still take a club to, to agree the right fee, etc. Um, but I, I do sort of get the impression that, Giroud's time at Chelsea is running out um, because simply he's not getting the minutes that he needs to um, fulfil his ambitions at an international level because he's still got a lot to offer, I think, um, but he just doesn't fit into um, the style of play that, that Chelsea want to use going forward. Uh, Dom, it was about this time last year that you were banging the drum for, for Giroud to get some minutes and Frank Lampard, who, who listens ad-free via The Athletic, clearly uh, <laughs> took heed of that and started playing him. Do, do you think at, at this point he's worth keeping around? Should Chelsea cut bait? I mean, Deschamps says he's got to play, but Deschamps picks him regardless. I think he's useful to have in this little run of games through to January, to be honest. Um, not least because Chelsea should secure their qualification in the Champions League imminently um, and that, that gives them an opportunity to play him in you know in the remaining group games whether that be Sevilla, Krasnodar whatever um, at some point Werner and Abraham are going to need to be rested they, they, they're going to need to put their feet up just just in a midweek and it, it, it will he is a, a, a wonderful option for Chelsea to have he's also I, I actually think he's he's he invariably makes an impact when he comes on in matches um, of, of some kind he, he he's something else for opponents tiring opponents to think about uh, a player with you know, great great experience very canny and a good finisher so I think he does represent a threat for Chelsea to throw on late in games so I, I would I would definitely be looking to 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 utilize him in some respect in these in this rush of games we've get we've now got until the January transfer window opens and then I still even even in the context of Chelsea yes being willing to to let him go it's it's it still requires a club coming in and paying a fee and 
we only have to look back at last January. You know, Inter Milan quite liked him then, didn't they? But they couldn't negotiate a fee with Chelsea that Chelsea deemed to be acceptable. So I don't think it's implausible that Chelsea still ask for an eight-figure fee for a player that's out of contract in six months and he ends up having to stick about until the end of the season. They are tough negotiators and even if they have got some goodwill towards the player, I think they will want a, a, a decent lump of money to, to part with him because he is such a useful option to have off the bench. So Liam, he got a couple of minutes at, at Newcastle, but he wasn't the, the focal point of the attack for, for the majority of the game. That was Tammy Abraham and, and Timo Werner. How do you think that, that Chelsea did as an, as an attacking force at St. James? There's no Havertz, no Pulisic, etc., but they still managed to create plenty of chances. Yeah, I thought they did really well um, against a team that it is difficult to look, look good against. We know how Steve Bruce is... Newcastle set up against pretty much everyone but particularly the top teams with that low block and uh, and Chelsea didn't really struggle to break them down um, you know and by the time that own goal went in to, to break the deadlock I think it had really been coming and they had the chances to put the game away long before they did and the key difference I think from last season is that this is the kind of game that Chelsea either wouldn't have gone ahead in in the first place or Having gone ahead, they would have begun to get really nervous in the second half and it would have been a very, very tense last five, ten minutes. They might have even conceded an equaliser and, and dropped a couple of points. But instead, with the firepower they have now, particularly you know, Timo Werner's devastating speed in transition we saw for that second goal, it, it was just a case of... All oh, this could get a little bit dodgy for Chelsea. Oh no, wait, they've they've killed it. And it was a it was a brilliant, brilliant goal. Um a really clinical finish from Tammy Abraham, who I I have to say has been absolutely fantastic every single time he's played this season. There are some excellent stats about how how often he's involved in a goal when he plays, and I think in particular his his all-round game, his link-up play, he put one chance on a plate for for Werner and he's he doesn't seem like he's He's determined to to get his own goals when he plays. He's not looking out for himself. He's trying to make sure the team as a whole functions as best it can. And I think that's the best way for him to ensure that he keeps getting picked. It's it's working really well right now. Certainly is. Uh, is there anything else anyone would like to say are either Newcastle game? A few seconds to to uh, pay homage to... Um, I still call him Kante. I, I can't get round yeah, to me this too. New, <laughs> new, new pronunciation. I, I just think... Um, as Lampard talked after the game, um, he, he, he's just he's just back to his best, isn't he? And I just think that's almost like a new signing for, for Chelsea, given how little he played last season. Um, he's just um, a fantastic addition that, uh, that that to this new sort of team that that Lampard's building. But he's still an old addition, if that makes any sense at all. Um, I, I just think he's. Uh, Having having Conte back to his very best is is just massive for what Chelsea are trying to achieve this season. Yeah, he's played all but eight minutes in the Premier League this season, starting every game. Okay, it being twenty twenty, not much time between Saturday's win and Chelsea's next assignment. We'll talk Wren next. Survivor forty six is here, and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast. And we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Valladares, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcasts.
Hi guys, David Ornstein here. If you've not seen it yet, I've launched a new weekly YouTube show, Ask Ornstein, where I answer questions from our subscribers to The Athletic. Submit your questions via the discussion pages on The Athletic app and I'll answer my favourites. To watch the show, head over to the TIFO Podcast YouTube channel and a new episode will be up every week. So Chelsea go to France on Tuesday to take on Ren on match day four in Group E of this season's Champions League. The Blues strolled to a referee-assisted 3-0 win when the teams met in London earlier this month and they'll put one foot in the knockout stages if they can pick up three points here. I don't want to spend too long on this game as it will probably have happened by the time lots of people listen to this pod. Briefly though, uh, Liam, we're expecting big changes in, in personnel for this. Spurs on Sunday, lest we forget. Yeah, I would expect a few changes from, from Lampard. Um, maybe sort of four or five. I he's generally steered clear of making seven, eight, nine changes for for any game this season other than the Carabao Cup against against Barnsley because I think he knows that particularly while he's bedding in so many new faces into this team and into this squad that continuity or some measure of continuity is key. But I think there'll be certain positions particularly where he's got backups that he trusts. I'm, I'm pretty sure we'll see Azpilicueta in this game, for example. Um, he he will look to, to freshen things up, but there's also an emphasis on taking care of business in France. I don't think Rennes will be quite as straightforward as they were at Stamford Bridge because they, they probably won't have a player incredibly harshly sent off. Um, they'll have, they might have, Edouard Camavinga available again, who's obviously their best player. And they'll be at home. So Chelsea have to win this to put themselves in a good position in the group and and that will be the priority for Lampard. But the nature of the schedule and, and the importance of that game against Spurs means that I'm sure we'll see a few changes. Tom, you wrote that big uh, primer on, on Ren for the Athletic a couple of months back, but, but it was actually quite difficult to get a read on them in the last game because of how that played out with the sending off. It, presumably, that they'll pose a bit more of a challenge, uh, red cards pending on, on Tuesday night. Yeah, I guess so. I, I actually thought they, they didn't do too badly at Stamford Bridge in the opening 20 minutes, half an hour. They, they were very aggressive going forward and they actually gave Chelsea's back line a bit of a going over at times, but they lacked some finesse uh, in the six-yard box to, to finish off some of the half chances that they created. I'm I'm slightly conscious that I wrote that big that big read, um, which is all about them dispelling the this myth that they were a, a club de loser, as as I said over in France. Uh, you know, they had this reputation as being also runs. Unfortunately, since publication, they've won one game in nine and lost five of their last six. <laughs> So it's not going so well, but but look, they're 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 a club that's coping or trying to cope with life at this level for the first time in their history. Um, it's it's not a huge surprise that they're they're experiencing teething trouble. Uh, they 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 were always targeting third place in the section, I think, and for them that means that their the, their games against in Krasnodar will will be will be key, and, and anything they can pick up from a home game against Chelsea would be a massive boost. But I, I really would expect Chelsea to impose themselves on the on the match and 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 maintain this momentum in the section. Simon, we spoke about Chelsea's potential. Premier League title challenges. I just wonder what what the extent of the ambition in the Champions League is this year. It doesn't seem from from the early stages that there's been a standout team amongst the kind of traditional superpowers. Is it, is it all about winning the group and, and and hopefully getting a slightly easier last sixteen tie? Is there any way that Chelsea can go much deeper than that this year? Do you think? 
I think it's always hard to predict. I, I always split the, the Champions League into two phases. You know, you don't necessarily see the best team in the group stage. It's all about timing your run, um, you know, to be at peak peak condition for the knockout phase. I mean, remember Real Madrid when they were winning um, all their Champions League re- in recent years. They weren't particularly outstanding. They'd just get the job done in the group phase, but were just absolutely clinical when it came to the knockout stages. So I, I just think, one, you have to split up the competition into two different phases of the season because inevitably form and injuries play a part. So Chelsea's first priority, as you rightly point out, Matt, is to try and top the group. That They're clearly in a head-to-head race with Sevilla. Um, but then even then, I remember sort of years where um, Chelsea would finish top and get still end up with a tough draw because, you know, another group, there's there's a, there's a really strong couple of teams that go through and... and and it, sometimes it doesn't always work out as you'd expect. But look, I think before a ball was kicked in this competition, they would they would have targeted going further than they did last season. But there's still some very, very good sides. And it, it sometimes just comes down to the luck, luck of the draw. The good thing about Renault is, is that, um, as, as Lampard said, he, he hopes that Kai Havertz will be involved after COVID. So I think it would be good, even if he just comes off the bench, ahead of the Spurs game for him to just get a few minutes so that uh, he's got a bit of the rust out of his legs. So it's Rent on Tuesday then, if that match hasn't already happened in your world, listen, it'll kick off at the very precise time of 17.55 in the UK. Next up, lads, it's Spurs. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Sunday afternoon then, the big derby date with Tottenham Hotspur at Stamford Bridge. Spurs ending last weekend, top of the table after their win against Manchester City. But the Blues took six points off Mourinho's men last season. They did, of course, exit the Carabao Cup after a penalty shootout at the Tottenham Hotspur open bracket. Still no company willing to meet Daniel Levy's asking price to secure naming rights to the closed bracket stadium. Uh, Here's Jack asking, how will Lampard pit his wits against Jose? Do we stick or twist the current expansive 4-3-3, which has served so well, or with Spurs' counter-attacking threat, go for a more pragmatic approach? Uh, what do you think, Liam? Will he go back to the Conte system, as Mourinho so de- <laughs> derisively dismissed it last season? Um, I don't actually think Lampard will, will go with wing-backs this time. I think Chelsea have found such a nice balance over these last few games in that 4-3-3 with, with Kante in the deepest midfield role that I think Lampard will be inclined to stick with that. And and there's also the fact that Spurs aren't playing with wing-backs either right now. So I think this game could look significantly different from the, from the meetings last year. 
we'll see. We'll see whether Lampard can get the better of um, Mourinho tactically again. But I think it could well come down more to the, the the talent on the pitch, and that makes it a really interesting game because Spurs' attack is functioning really well. Kane and Son have got brilliant chemistry, but I think. Chelsea's front three at the moment with Werner, Abraham and, and Ziyech is is looking really, really good too. So my inclination would be that this ends in a draw, but it's it's a very, very interesting one. A couple of questions that we've had on team selection. Here's Chelsea time asking, will Aspi come back into the team for the hardest games, brackets Spurs next week, close brackets, or does Frank now fully trust Reese and will only bench him when he genuinely needs a rest? What do you think, Simon? I think it depends on on formation, uh, certainly regarding the Spurs game, because of course if, if um, three at the back's employed, there's a good chance as Piliqueta and Rhys James will play. There, there does seem to be a, 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 a real changing of the guard, as it were, with Rhys James now being the first choice right back. I think as Piliqueta will, will still get the odd game here and there, but um, I, I do think the way Rhys James is playing is just very, very hard to leave out both from an attacking and a defensive point of view. He's taken his game onto a whole new level. Um, Chelsea have to look to the future and, and you have to say that Rhys James deserves his place ahead of Equator right now uh, on a regular basis. Meanwhile, here's Vona G asking, with Tammy's fine form, do you think Pulisic gets thrown straight into the starting eleven when he recovers or does Tammy retain his place as striker and Werner plays on the wing? Um, Dom, I, I'm guessing the answer here is, if it ain't broke, don't break it. Or fix it? What are we breaking or fixing? It's so confusing. Yes, I know. That's just it's just another way of saying the same phrase. I'm trying to avoid saying if it ain't broke, don't fix it. Maybe that's more popular in these Midlands than it is down in the south. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, no, I, I'm with you. Move, you're not going to move Abraham from from, from no, the number no, nine no. at the moment, are you? Because he's he's no critical chance. to Chelsea's attack. He's been brilliant, as as Liam said earlier. He's he's been absolutely excellent, and he's he, maybe he's not had quite the same impact as as Kane in terms of dropping up and linking play, but he's he's shown flashes of that as well. And he's 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 finished. He's I think he at the moment that that front line in its current guise is functioning so well that that Pulisic faces a task to to break it up. Yeah, and and let's. Pulisic has had so little game time of late that he, he would be rusty to, to be thrown in from the start anyway at the weekend, I imagine. Um, so, I, I, no, I'd, 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 I'd stick as it was. I, I'm, I really hope there aren't... I really hope neither manager really decides to, to, to shake things up too radically for this because, because at the moment you've got two really irresistible teams performing fantastically well virtually every week in the Premier League and I just want to see them going at each other. I want to see... Who has got the best strength in depth? Who's play? Who's you know? Who's who can showcase their ability? Who can showcase their current form? And I mean, on, on paper, it's absolutely mouthwatering as a, as a match. And you don't want you don't want them to ch- chop and change too much and and try and be too clever. Just let them go out and express themselves, and let's see who the best team is. I think another thing that will will uh, be great to watch, of course, will be the two managers on the on the sideline because uh, there's a bit of needle if you remember in the EFL. Cup tie um, between them. Um, their relationship, I don't think, is as strong as it used to be uh, when it was uh, just a simple manager-player relationship. I think Reno's doing his utmost to, to sort of get under Lampard's skin and test whether he can uh, go toe to toe with him. Um, and and I just think, yeah, those two, those two, uh, Lampard really wants to 
prove that he can uh, stand up to Mourinho and be seen at his level and, and want his respect. Um, so I, 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 I'd be very surprised if there aren't a few words exchanged between between them during the 90 minutes, let alone beforehand in the press conferences. Simon, do you think it's fair to say that it's not just about you know Mourinho wanting to need Lampard as a manager? Do you, do you think their relationship deteriorated a bit because of the way that Lampard was, in his own words, ushered out the back door by Mourinho when he was a, a Chelsea player? Yeah, I think there's a bit of that. I think there's also the fact that Lampard then ended up at Manchester City and, and Chelsea and Manchester City went... Uh, were, were obviously head to head in the title race that season. Lampard scoring against Chelsea um, at uh, at the Etihad, and I think there was genuine concerns from Mourinho that that Lampard was going to come back to to haunt him. So I think that if you were to sort of start, you know, put a start date on when things started to not deteriorate badly, I, I don't want to make out that they're, they're now at loggerheads, but let's just say that they went from being sort of really really close to to now just. Yeah, you'd sort of say that things are more of a on a just a purely professional level rather than a personal level, and and um, yeah, I'd say it dates back to to that the the way that Lampard left, and the, the fact that he ended up at Man City. I think it started then. When he goes to a rival, love stories are over. Yes, <laughs> you could say you could say that about Mourinho more than Lampard now. I'd say. A narrative all over the shop for this game. Lampard versus Mourinho. Will Eric Dyer have dosed up on Imodium? We'll find out half past four <laughs> on Sunday. Uh, next today, we'll round up what else has been happening around the club. Elsewhere in Chelsea news, no game for the women's side this week because of the international break. They also had their Conti Cup match with London City Lionesses called off at a couple of hours notice last week after the opposition returned positive COVID tests. The late call frustrating for those of us 100 miles into our journey to cover the game. Never mind, 2020 oh, in it. Uh, in terms of the men's academy and development sides, the under-18s continued their topsy-turvy season. 4-2 home defeat against Aston Villa for them. Better news for the under-23s though, who came from 2-0 down to draw 2-2 against Manchester City. More significant perhaps than the result though, the next step on the return from injury of Billy Gilmore, who played 90 minutes and scored that after he'd started in the EFL Trophy last week. Chelsea now out of that competition after losing to Bristol Rovers, by the way. Here's Ishan asking, with Billy Gilmore stepping up his recovery this week, how do you see him being integrated into the squad? Do you see him operating as the DM or as an eight or a bit of both? Liam, you've written about Billy for the Athletic. Yeah, I, I thought he played pretty well in the in the EFL Trophy game. I know Simon watched him in the game at the weekend, um, so he's probably better place to talk on that. But he's he's showing his quality. He he looks pretty sharp physically, given how long he's been out for. And we all know just how much Lampard rates him. I mean, he was playing him in, in front of a fully fit Jorginho last season as the deepest of those three midfielders. That's the position I expect him to be competing for again when he's back in first-team contention. Clearly, N'Golo Conte has um, has made that position his own in the last few weeks. But I think when when Gilmore is, is truly back in the first-team reckoning, I wouldn't be surprised to, to see him ahead of Jorginho in Lampard's mind for that position again. And we'll see what that does to, to Jorginho's future. But we know Lampard really, really likes Gilmore, everything he, he brings to the team. And we know that he's committed to to giving him room to grow into his Chelsea career. So I, I expect him to, to kind of shift the, the landscape of, of Chelsea's midfield pecking order in, in interesting ways in the next couple of months. 
Simon, it's really encouraging that he's been able to get so many minutes in, in such a short space of time because it, it wasn't an insignificant injury that, that he had, was it? Yeah, so, um, no, you're right, Matt. I mean, it's 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 definitely really encouraging. I, I, I got the old um, alert system about the uh, the game being on the app on Sunday. I, I was playing to to uh, just watch the Premier League, but then I thought, no, I'll, I'll check out Billy Gilmore. And, and, and what was so encouraging was that he, he just looked so sharp, which really took me by surprise given he's been out for, for four months. Yes, I know it's only an under-23 game, but it, it, it was Manchester City. And it was the way that he sort of took the game by the scruff of the neck in the second half. Chelsea were 2-0 down, of course. And he, he, he just sort of, he, he just stepped up and was like, right, I'm going to sort of dictate and, and sort of lead the team back. Um, he wasn't the only one that had a good game, I hasten to add. But I just thought if if you're Frank Lampard watching that, you'd be going, right, OK, perhaps um, give him a few more um, under-23 games just to make sure he's up to speed. But I don't think it'll be too long before he's back in the squad, ju- judged it, judging on how he performed on Sunday. Yeah, fingers crossed this recovery continues apace. All right, that's just about it for this week. Before we go, let's hear what the chaps have got for Athletic subscribers to enjoy. Um, Dom, Derby County, certainly not to everybody's taste, but but Liam Rossini seems like a good egg. You've been speaking to the man eminently more qualified to manage a championship side than Wayne Rooney. Well, I think you've struck upon the key there, that last bit. He he has got all the qualifications, um, which is far more than, than Rooney has. Rooney may have the, the game experience, but yeah, it'd be interesting to see how he does. He was He was wonderfully eloquent last week ahead of his... Uh, opening game as a co-manager uh, lost 1-0 at Bristol City but apparently played quite well en route um, he was very impressive and I hope he I hope he um, shows how good he is at Derby because he's 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 a, a figure that's been working towards a managerial career for the last 26 years he's only 36 but he was sitting in the dugout with his when his dad was manager at Gloucester City back in the day so hopefully Hopefully uh, he proves his his pedigree over these this spell in caretaker charge of Derby, and has a uh, future prospects are enhanced for a managerial career elsewhere. Simon, what what can Athletic subscribers look forward to from you? Well, apart from some uh, a special project that that me and Dom are particularly working on ahead of the Spurs game, um, I've interviewed Ek Ugbo, um, the Chelsea um, under twenty threes players currently on on loan at Circle Bruges and um, he's been very sort of um, given a very open and honest heartfelt interview about how he turned to a sports psychologist um, to help turn him around mentally um, because of the struggles he experienced on loan um, earlier in his career of course his first loans at Barnsley didn't go too well um, neither did his other loans in, in England um, so it's a really sort of honest talk about just how low um, he got, and, and and sort of the the sort of dealing with realities of, of moving from the comforts of of Cobham being a star player at, at the academy to suddenly being hit with the realities of professional football. Yeah, certainly doing well in Belgium, isn't he? Five goals in his last Absolutely. four games. The team that he plays for and managed by Paul Clement, of course, former Chelsea academy boss. Uh, Liam, we we mentioned your Billy Gilmore piece. What what else can we read from you? Yes, I have a piece up on The Athletic at the moment on Chelsea's corner defending. It's a subject I've written about a couple of times because last season they were the second worst team in Europe's top five leagues defending corners. And they've gone from that awful base to average, which is a pretty good improvement. So I looked at 
how Lampard has tweaked things on that front. I'm also covering the Wren game, so I'll be writing on that, perhaps about Tammy Abraham if he continues his excellent recent form. And there's another project that I'm working on, a slightly longer term thing with some of Chelsea's academy boys, which is very exciting. Who was the worst, Liam? Amiens in Liga, although they're no longer in Liga, possibly because of their corner defending. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, good stuff. One last reminder to take advantage of a £1 per week special offer here at The Athletic. Just visit theathletic.com slash Pod for ad-free podcasts and so many great Chelsea reads. Many thanks to Simon, Liam, Dom and producer Adonis. We'll catch up with you again next week. For now, though, from all of us here, it's goodbye. <laughs>